The holidays for my family right now are complex. Not complicated, necessarily, just, just complex, if any of you all kind of understand what I mean by that. Some of you, I'm sure that you do. Uh, for many of us, the holidays are complex, uh, trying to uh, juggle family family schedules, trying to navigate family dynamics, and then we have work and parties. It's all complex, or the absence of any one of those things also makes it a little complex. So December is uh, sort of a crazy month uh, for me. I don't really know why. I haven't figured it out yet. But December is kind of a crazy month for me. And, uh, and as of yesterday, yesterday was actually uh, my youngest son's birthday. So as of yesterday, I'm now the proud papa of a three-year-old and a two-year-old. <laughs> things are a little complex. Um, things are actually a little complicated, right? Um, Anyways, this week I had a couple of people ask me, uh, how you doing? How you doing? And being honest, I said, I'm okay. <laughs> Just, I'm okay. Just okay. Astonished like I had kind of broken some sort of pastoral mo- moral code that in the season of light and joy and merriment and all of that stuff, I'm just Okay. But I wanted to be honest. It's true. Yeah, I'm just, I'm okay. And the truth is, I'm just really ready for Christmas. Not Christmas Eve. Not ready for that yet. <laughs> but I'm ready, I'm ready for the 25th. And maybe I've got a little bit of the early onset Christmas blues or whatever it is that I'm not full of merriment and joy and all of that stuff. I'm just, I'm okay. Just okay. And after each one of those conversations that I've had throughout this week, there's been a little bit of kind of conviction that I, I so badly want Christmas to come that I just kind of want to skip to the end, that I so badly want this Prince of Peace to be born, and I so badly want to sing that song on Christmas Eve All is calm, all is bright. And then I get to go home. <laughs> Last night we had a um, kind of a community engagement project uh, that was uh, part of the old-fashioned uh, Christmas in downtown. And so we had this big thought wall up. It was just you know a blackboard with a question on it for people to answer. And the question was, all I want for Christmas is, and then we gave them uh, a pen and they could fill in the blank. And so we got a few of the classic responses, a puppy, a bike, you know, those sorts of things. And then we got some kind of 21st century responses like an iPhone and slime. Um, But then there were a few people who told us what was really kind of hidden at the top of their wish list. They said things like happiness, a daddy, Health, someone to love my family, a reason to live. And maybe all of that is what this season is for. 
This Advent season, it's a season of waiting, often waiting sort of in the dark as we strain our eyes to focus on what little light there is so that we can just take the next step. You don't need me to tell you that there is darkness in our world, that there is darkness in our communities, that there is darkness in our families, that there is darkness within our own individual lives. And what we all really need, I think when we get down to the bottom of it, what we all really need this Christmas is peace. It's peace. Peace even in the darkness. Even as we sit in that awkward time, that uncomfortable time, even in the midst of the questioning, even in the midst of the doubt, even in the midst of the trial and the pain and the heartache, we still need to know that peace is possible and that peace is present. And so the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. He, he gave this vision for a day that there would be peace. He gave this vision of hope to the people there. And he said this, he said, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Because, for, to us, a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace all those titles are really interesting but the prince of peace one is particularly interesting because that word peace is an interesting word peace is a complex word we often think of peace as kind of the absence of, of violence, the, the absence of conflict, the absence of complication, the absence of war, like a peace treaty between two enemies. But the authors of Scripture had all of that in mind when they talked about peace, but when they talked about the peace of God, they also had something that was bigger in mind. Yes, they longed for the wars to come to an end, but they also longed for something better. They longed for a day where there would be peace, that instead of war, there would be love and unity. See, peace for them was not just the absence of something bad, but it was the presence of something good. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And that word shalom really means wholeness or completeness or perfection. And it could really be used for anything. And they said that a wall, a wall with, with all of its different parts, all of the different bricks, could have peace as all of the pieces come into place and that there are no gaps, and that there are no breaches in the wall, but the wall has integrity, wholeness, completeness, shalom. And just like our lives, complex as they are, with all the various differing moving pieces going about, that there's a promise that there can still be peace that all the things fall into place and that Jesus has come to be that prince 
of shalom, of wholeness, of completeness, of integrity, perfection. But we also know that it's been over 2,000 years since this prince of peace has been born into our world and things are still incomplete, left undone, restless. And so we wrestle with how, how can this be? Well, 2,000 years ago, people were longing, expecting for peace. They were longing for a Messiah, a, a Savior. But the Savior that they found in Jesus was not the Savior that they necessarily were expecting, nor was it the Savior that they really necessarily wanted. They were people who were walking in darkness. And yes, even back then there was still sin. There was shame, there was oppression, there was injustice, there was violence, there was hatred. And they were looking for a peace that just wasn't quite complete. It it, it wasn't quite whole. And they were looking for a light that just wasn't quite bright enough. They knew the darkness just as well as any of us do, but they thought that the darkness was caused by someone else. They thought that the darkness was caused by Rome, this government that had oppressed the Jewish people for years and years. And and certainly the oppression of Rome on the Jewish people did cast a shadow, but Rome was not the reason why the lights went out. They thought that the darkness was caused by money and greed and and corruption. They thought that the darkness was, was caused by culture. They thought that the darkness was caused by them over there who are not like us. And so when this Prince of Peace actually showed up, he shined a light onto those who are living in the land of deep darkness. And you know that whenever a light is shined in the darkness, things get revealed. Things get exposed. The crack, the cracks and the gaps can be seen. And so here's how John, the gospel writer, spoke of it. John was one of the four people who wrote accounts of Jesus's life um, in these things that we call the Gospels or the Good News. Uh, but John had a little bit of a different perspective than, than all the others, than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John uh, was not only one of Jesus's close disciples, but actually he was also very close to Jesus's mother, Mary. That in fact, when Jesus was on the cross and, and just about to die, he looked at Mary, his mother, and he looked at John, his disciple, and he said, Mary, take John as your son. And John, take my mother Mary now as your mother, because I won't be here any longer. And so John did just that. And for years, he took care of Jesus' mother, Mary. And for all of those years, he heard these stories from Mary about raising her son, Jesus. And he remembered his own stories of walking beside this Jesus. And so it wasn't until much later in life that John decided to write an account of Jesus' life. And this is how he wrote of it. This is towards the beginning of of his gospel. He says, The true light 
that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And so pay attention to those two words, to those who believed in his name. Believed in. With those two words, believed in, John changed everything. Literally, John changed the vocabulary of the day because as far as we can tell, no one had put those two words together. Belief in. No one had ever put those two words together. In regards to any person. So that first word, belief, is pistuo, and it means faith or trust or belief. And for the first time in human history, John said that this Jesus person was someone to have faith in, to trust in, to believe in. Now, people had believed each other. People had trusted each other before. But John says that that this Jesus is actually different. Because John is calling us not to just believe in the things that Jesus has said, and, and not just to believe in the miracles that he has done, but to actually believe in, place our hope in, place our trust in, place our faith in who Jesus was. And for John... Jesus was and is the light of the world who has come into the midst of the darkness. And so the first person that John says that that tried to seek an understanding of this was the most unlikely person that we would ever think of. He was a person who was very skeptical about Jesus because he was taught to look at Jesus with suspicion by all of his friends and all of his colleagues. And yet there was something about Jesus that just drew him in. This man's name was Nicodemus. And he was a Pharisee, part of the group that was the most skeptical about Jesus and who he was. They not only didn't believe in what Jesus said, but they didn't trust him. In fact, they wanted to kill him. And yet, Nicodemus shows up with all of his questions, all of his doubts, all of his skepticism, and he comes to meet Jesus in the middle of the night one night. And it's in the middle of the night, hiding behind the darkness, because Nicodemus didn't want to be seen asking his earnest question to the man who just might have the right answer that he was looking for. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus one night, and he says this to him. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus says, oh, okay, I, I get it. You're special. I've I've seen what you can do. I've seen the miracles. 
but how? And this is what Jesus replies back, a very odd, but so much a very Jesus answer back. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born again? Well, what do you mean? I mean, how, how does somebody have a second birth here? Nicodemus was thinking of this in a literal way, a literal second birth. But Jesus doesn't see things the way that we see things. And Jesus doesn't see the world the way that we do. And so he finally begins to explain to Nicodemus what he really means by all of this and and who he really is and, and why he has come to this world. And with these few words, Jesus clarifies it all. And he makes it so simple. Words that, that we still cling to. Words that we have memorized. Words that we put on bumper stickers and posters and all of that. You, you know the words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in, there it is again, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You've heard it before. But that's not all that Jesus actually has to say because there's more to him and there's more to his mission. And so he goes on and he says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And so this is the verdict. In other words, Jesus says this this is the crisis that we are in. This is the darkness that has fallen upon you. This is how I see it. This is my judgment of the situation. Here are the cracks and the gaps, the unfinished places, the imperfect places. Here is the verdict. Light has come into the world. And if we were to finish this sentence ourselves, we would say, Light has come into the world, and the world loved the light. And the world flew to it like moths to a flame. Or light has come into the world, and we've never been the same. But that's not Jesus' verdict. That's not the way that he sees things. That's not the crisis. That's why he says, this is the reason why you have no peace. He says, light has come into the world, but people have loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that they may have done, that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Jesus says, here's the verdict. We are a people who love darkness. We are a people who have seen the light 
And yet because of its exposure, because of its revealing, because of that fear, we have escaped back into the darkness to enfold us once again. And so as much as we thought our problem was the government, and as much as we thought our problem was money and greed and corruption, and as much as we thought our problem was culture, and as much as we thought our problem was them over there, the verdict, as it turns out, Jesus says the problem is really us, that we, we love darkness. And we love it because in darkness, there's secrecy. In darkness, there's isolation. In darkness, there's deception. In darkness, there is death. And yet God has sent us exactly what we needed because our problem always has been sin. And our love of the dark. And it's true that in light there is exposure. That the cracks get revealed. And as unwelcomed and as painful as that light might be, it's the only way that there will be peace with the Prince of Shalom. That we will find completeness, wholeness, The truth cannot be hidden because in light there is also life because the light has come for the people who walk in darkness, the people who live in a land of deep darkness and to them a child has been born that whoever believes in his name, Prince of Peace, may have eternal life. But then after all of this, the night ends with Nicodemus saying nothing in response. And Jesus walks away. And Nicodemus does not follow him. Nicodemus goes back to his skeptical friends, the Pharisees, and Jesus goes back to his disciples. And it's not until the very end of John's gospel that Nicodemus and Jesus will meet again. But this time, no words will be shared because it's too late. Jesus has already been crucified and he has died at the hands of the world, led by the Pharisees. But it was Nicodemus. It was Nicodemus who came and took Jesus' body down off of the cross. I imagine with all of his doubts, all, all of his questions, all of his concerns, maybe still all of his skepticism, he came that dark Friday afternoon to come and take the body of this man, wrap it in linen cloth, and lie it in an empty tomb, in utter darkness, in utter loneliness. And they departed from each other once again. And John doesn't tell us any more about Nicodemus. The story doesn't go on. Instead, we're just left with our own questions. And maybe a question is, 
why did John even include this? I mean, why did John, the gospel writer, even tell us about Nicodemus? I think he told us this story because this is a story for all of us. John goes back to the beginning, the, the whole reason why he wrote this gospel message in the first place. That after Jesus rises on Easter morning and overcomes sin and death and the grave, John says, okay, here's the whole reason why I wrote this to you. Here's, here's the whole thing about Jesus' life. This is what I want to tell you. This is why I'm telling it to you. And he says, almost at the very end of his gospel, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his beloved disciples, which are not recorded in this book. There's just too many to count. But these are written. What, what I have told you here in these pages, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing that whoever, 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 whoever believes in his name, that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's personal now. It's personal. To the people who have walked in darkness you have seen a great light. To the people who have lived in the land of deep darkness, to you a light has dawned. That's my my hope for you today. And, And for these next few weeks as Christmas approaches, is that you would take a step closer to the light. Whatever that looks like for you. That you would take a step closer to finding that peace. That even though you might be coming with your questions, with your doubts, with your skepticism, keep seeking, keep asking. But I hope, I hope you know this and I hope that you did not miss this. When Jesus said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Even though he came to see it, saw it in crisis, even though he came with a verdict and a judgment on the situation that we love the darkness more than the light, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent his son into the world so that the world may be saved through him. For God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn it, but to save the world. Which means, which means that in spite of what we think that we know, and in spite of what we think that we want, and in spite of what we think that we know that we want for Christmas, God knew. God knew what we really needed a light a prince of peace a savior a personal savior 
who has come for you. Let's pray. Oh God, it's, it's easy to get focused on the darkness and to lose our step. And God, some of us may have more questions, more doubt. Some of us may feel more darkness. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask you, I ask you to come and shine a light in all of our hearts. And that even though it might be painful, even though it might expose some stuff that we would rather just let lie in the shadows, God, give us the courage to lift that up to you, to surrender it to you. And even if we're not willing to do that yet, give us the courage to keep asking. Give us the courage to keep seeking. Give us the courage to keep walking in the dark, but Lord, light the way. For you are the light. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the resurrection. You are the good news that we need. Bring that good news to each and every one of us here today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.